This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today I have two guests with me, Gloriana Gonzalez, who's an associate professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at the University of Illinois. Gloriana, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And with her is her co-author, Jennifer Eli, who is an associate professor in the Mathematics Department at the University of Arizona. Jennifer, thanks for coming as well. Thank you for having us, Sam. We're going to be talking about Gloriana and Jennifer's article, which is currently published in the Journal of Mathematics Teacher Education. It's available in the online first uh, section, available in PDF. It hasn't appeared in print yet, but that'll be coming pretty soon. And that article is entitled, Perspective and In-Service Teacher's Perspectives About Launching a Problem. So um, that's the article that we're going to be focusing on, but I always like to back up and just put people on the map. So Gloriana, I want to just go back and ask you where you did your graduate studies and who you worked with there. I earned my doctorate at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. I was a student of Pat Herbst, and I worked with him in the project of um, GRIP, Geometry Reasoning and Instructional Practices. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer, how about you? Uh, I did my graduate work at the University of Kentucky under the direction of Margaret Moore Schroeder and Carl Lee. And the projects I worked on there were the Appalachian Math Science Partnership as well as the Acclaim Project. Okay. Now, the article in JMTE deals with launching mathematical tasks, and you have pre-service teachers and in-service teachers analyzing and discussing the launch of mathematical tasks. So I wonder, what was it that brought the two of you together to study this topic? Well, um, first of all, we met at the STAR program, for people who may know, mm. about, know, not know about it. The STAR program is service teaching and research uh, program for math education assistant professors, people in their first years of their careers. So we met there, and then we realized that we had common interests. And my work is about studying how teachers use to inspire knowledge, especially in problem-based instruction. And then Jennifer had done work about this idea of solids of revolution tasks. So we were trying to figure out something that we could do where we would collaborate. And then we worked together on something bigger that was like how teachers will teach this uh, problem-based lesson around solid of revolutions task. And the study that we have in the paper is about how to launch the problem using that particular case where they're teaching the solids of revolution task. But overall, when working with teachers, when they're setting up problem-based lessons, I found that there were two different extremes. One is that when setting up the problem, when launching the problem, they would give a lot of information, review with students important content that they needed to know before working on the problem. But then the other extreme was not saying much about the problem and telling kids, hey, I don't want to say anything about the problem so that I don't give away the answer. You guys go ahead and get started. So in terms of understanding how teachers use students' prior knowledge, there was a very big difference from either reviewing and telling a lot of the things that they up front, well, the things that they needed to do to solve the problem or not saying anything. So 
I've been interested in that idea of launching the task, and other people in the field have looked at that too, to figure out how is it that you can get started with the problem in a way that it engages students, but also it allows them to solve problems by themselves. So as Gloriana mentioned, in my dissertation work, I, I looked at Solids of Revolution, basically looking at the types of mathematical connections that pre-service teachers made when they were solving the Solids of Revolution problem. But um, I wanted to better understand how teachers would engage their own students around a Solids of Revolution task. So by focusing on the launch of the problem, as we did in this paper, we could examine teachers' underlining assumptions for setting up a problem. Mm-hmm. So you had groups of prospective teachers and also groups of in-service teachers. So I was wondering if you could just tell us about who it was that was participating in those focus groups and what you did in those groups. So we had put together some uh, vignettes or some cartoons, and that's something that comes from the work that people have done in VMAT, the thought experience is experiments in math teaching, the work of Patters and Manchasen, where they make these scenarios and have teachers react to those scenarios or use those scenarios as prompts for conversations. So we had created a series of uh, vignettes where we showed how to enact this task, how to launch the task, how to support students as they were working on the task, how to summarize the task, uh, their work on the task. and. Um, we had different groups of either pre-service teachers or in-service teachers trying to discuss their reactions to those different scenarios. And in discussing those reactions, then we were trying to figure out what are things that they would think that they would do, what are things that they would not do, and what are the underlying assumptions behind the actions that they were proposing that they would do or they would not do. And looking at the difference between pre-service teachers and in-service teachers was important because if you think that in-service teachers are the ones who know more about the practice, that they know more about how to teach, uh, have more experience, then we can identify what is it about their knowledge of teaching mathematics that will show through in their comments about the vignettes that we were showing. At the same time, the pre-service teachers Coming from a methods course, maybe they had some ideas about how to implement a problem-based lesson or from their observations of other teachers, they had a sense about what they would do and also from their mathematical knowledge. So that's where establishing a contrast for us was important, especially to get to this idea of the practical rationality of mathematics teaching, which Pat and Dan have been calling it the feel for the game, the idea of having a sense of how do you teach, what does it mean to teach uh, under particular circumstances. So the contrast for us was important to get to those underlying assumptions about teaching. And so you mentioned practical rationality, and I was actually going to mention that we've had a few episodes this year in the 2015 season that have involved practical rationality. So episode 1504 with Corey Webble used that um, theoretical lens as did uh, Kristen Bieta in episode 1511. So I was wondering if you could just say a little bit more about um, the analytic perspective that you took on the focus group data. So that include practical rationality, but you also brought in this idea of argumentation. So we were trying to figure out, first of all, what is it that teachers or pre-service teachers or in-service teachers will see as examples of practice, but also how, how is it that they would provide different justifications about the actions of teaching that were in the vignettes. So the adapted version of the Toolman model that we used have been used for, by other people, and as you said, those, those 
two are great examples of how they have drawn upon practical rationality as well, to try to figure out what claims are they making about what they were observing in the vignettes, but also what were the underlying justifications behind those claims. So we're trying to identify whether there were any differences between pre-service teachers and in-service teachers in the types of claims that they made and also in the justifications for those claims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as Gloriana said, we really wanted just to, to kind of look at um, PSTs and ISTs' perspectives and the kind of sources of uncertainty and how, um, what are their strategies for kind of coping with that uncertainty around launching a problem, so looking at those differences. Mm-hmm. And just for a little bit more context, the vignette that they're kind of reacting to, what was the sort of content, the mathematical content that was going on? I know that it's not really about the content, it's about the idea of launching a task, but I'm just curious. Yes, so prior research in problem solving had said that it's a very good strategy to, when you're solving a problem, to have an idea of, you know, to make connections with a problem that is a similar problem, in this case an analogous problem, so that you can establish this connection. So if you're working on a problem and then suddenly you remember a problem that was similar to that problem, then you can use those strategies and apply it in a new situation, which solving a new problem. So we, uh, in this particular vignette, we were showing the case, what if the teacher launches a problem not by doing a review, not by telling students how to solve the problem, but really by showing a problem that is analogous to the given one, which is a strategy that people use in problem solving. So in doing that, then we could get the participants' reactions in terms of like how, what do they think about that strategy of Mm -hmm. using a problem that is very similar to the one that you are assigning with the hope that they will get students started uh, with the problem. So we were looking at the literature on problem solving and trying to use this as a model of a particular case in which the teacher can activate prior knowledge during the launch, but different than doing a review or different than making connections with things that students know explicitly for solving the problem, but through this analogous problem. We expected that by launching the lesson, by using a problem that was analogous to a given one, that that would provoke more discussions about the tensions when you're trying to launch a a problem-based lesson. My guests are Gloriana Gonzalez and Jennifer Eli, uh, who are talking about their article in the Journal of Mathematics Teacher Education. You mentioned, you know, really uncovering the claims and the justifications that they made about the launching of tasks and then comparing those two different groups. So let me just ask you then, what claims and justifications you saw the pre-service teachers and the in-service teachers making about the launching of tasks? When we were looking at the claims and the justifications, after that, something that we tried to get to was trying to get to their assumptions, like what is a launch? So the claims and justifications were the first step for us to get to those assumptions about, well, what is a launch really? So for example, some teachers made the claim that looking at the an, an analogous problem will help students to think outside of the box, right? Or some teachers, uh, in-service teachers said that maybe if you show a problem that is analogous to the given one, it will be difficult for students to understand what's the solution because they will think that the solution to the analogous problem would be the solution to the problem that you're actually assigning. Pre-service teachers were looking at aspects of motiv- usually looking at aspects of motivation, whether the, the analogous problem was going to be enough for students to be motivated to 
work on the problem or not. They did share the idea that if you are doing some sort of problem that requires some visualization, you need to make a demonstration. You need to show them what is a revolution, especially if students are not familiar with that idea about revolving figures in 3D. Um, so those were things that were different between the pre-service teachers and in-service teachers. But we were using this to try to figure out, well, from their perspective, what does it mean to have a launch? What, what is a launch about? What should be in a launch? What should not be in a launch? Mm -hmm. Well, I was just thinking, you know, some of the things we looked at were um, looking at the differences, right, and the assumptions that they make about what constitutes a launch. With in-service teachers, right, this idea of reviewing or hinting or, or not confusing students, whereas with pre-service teachers, it was looking more at that the, the launch should be motivational and engaging. Mm. Yeah, so emphasizing some different purposes, which goes back to sort of different uh, obligations that they might feel in terms of the practical rationality. Exactly, and one of the things is that we were trying to look at tensions that could surface when these different assumptions may pull teachers in different uh, directions. So for example, if you think that the launch should be short, and it's really nice that you have a short launch, maybe a short launch is not giving you enough opportunity for understanding key concepts that are important to work on the problem. Or if your assumption, underlying assumption is that you should be reviewing key ideas in the launch, then maybe that will take away the opportunities for students to work on the problem by themselves. So, for example, we have one teacher who was the only teacher who had experience with problem-based instruction, and she was saying how it's important in problem-based instruction for students to be working by themselves. And instead of reviewing all the concepts and procedures needed to solve a problem right away in the launch, she would wait until the students needed some help when they were working on the problem, and she would try to scaffold students to remember or to use things that they knew from before and apply them to the solution to the problem. So that's important for us because it's very unique in terms of problem-based instruction, that you're trying to let students discover the connections by themselves, you're trying to do what has been said in the field is uh, promote productive struggle, and in doing that then maybe the launch is not the place where you're going to tell students a lot about the things that they need to solve the problem. But we were trying to look if in these assumptions there were contradictions, and there were pulling teachers in different uh, directions. In, uh, you know, if you want to motivate students, but in doing the motivation, if you're going to give away some of the main ideas that they need to solve the problem. So those are the things that are interesting for us in terms of understanding how is it that teachers manage the dilemmas and the tensions that they are in teaching. Mm -hmm. And listeners can definitely go get the article and find some more details of uh, the findings and things that you saw in these really interesting discussions that the prospective and in-service teachers had. Um, I want to give you a chance to just bring out if there were any more pieces of data or findings that you want to share to the listeners. Well, I think there's a main issue with problem-based instruction, right, that teachers are at the point where they are dealing with uncertainty because 
the students may come up with ways of solving the problem that they had not anticipated. You want to leave them enough opportunities for them to solve the problem on their own, but if you don't launch the problem in a way that sets them off to work uh, enough uh, on the problem, then you may have more difficulties sustaining the lesson over time. So some of the issues about, you know, some of the strategies about reviewing or giving hints at the beginning of the task may help teachers to deal with that issue, um, may help mm -hmm. teachers to control more the way in which students are solving the problem. However, it could be difficult for students to develop strategies to work on problems on their own if everything is given to the students. So it's a specific issue of problem-based instruction when we want students to work on problems on their own, but at the same time, we need to give them enough for them to get started. We need to give them enough for them to feel motivated to work on the problem. So one of the things that we need to take into account is whether in pre-service teacher methods classes we're thinking about motivation and engagement, but are we thinking about how is it that you're going to set up a task in a way that students are going to be able to work on a problem? And the same for in-service teachers, if their default may be um, to review everything before they start working on the problem, then is that going to be good for the students to be working on the problem on their own? So those are the things that uh, we try to identify in the paper, but also that the teacher who had pro experienced uh, teaching a problem-based curriculum was one of the strong voices saying that students should be allowed enough time to work on their own and to struggle with the problem. And then during the, sca the, the time where they're working on the problem, then they, the teacher will be scaffolding students according to those observations of what they need. And that's very powerful that a teacher who had that experience was able to see some of the recommendations that we see in research. To me, I'm really thinking about it in terms of launching the problem or launching the solution. Because um, I think point. a lot of times when when I see teachers or talk to teachers about this, I think a lot of times you know they everybody kind of calls it launching the problem, uh -huh. but I think a lot of teachers actually have as their goal to launch the solution so that like once they've <laughs> launched it, the students are ready to go forward on the first steps of the solution, and they kind of view it as I want them to be solving it in this way, so I'm going to kind of launch it in that way, versus launching the problem would be to launch the problem, bring the concepts onto the table, and help students know what the problem is about, but not actually giving them those first few nudges or pushes towards the solution. And I think that ties with what you were just saying about the, the one teacher who was talking about giving a space for them to think and struggle before giving what I would say is like the launch of the solution. That's, that's a very interesting way to phrase the, the issue here. It also comes to a point that teachers can feel like, oh, it's better for me not to say anything, right? And just for students to be working on the problem right away, reading the problem on their own. And that could be also problematic in terms of not maybe not motivating students enough or not making sure, like other research has stated, that they all know, have a knowledge of the context to be working on the problem. In that case, you, you haven't really launched anything. You've just kind of, you've just given it to the students, but you haven't really activated anything. So yeah, but it's part of, it can come from the perspective like, wait, I don't want to give away too much because then 
I'll right. give you uh, give away the answer. That's what we saw in the data that came across in, in both groups was this idea of I don't want to give away the aha moment. And if I do a problem that's analogous to another problem that's so close, they're either going to take away from that that, oh, this is what they want me to look for, or it doesn't give them an opportunity to kind of um, grapple with and explore, productive, engage in productive struggle around a solids of revolution. I like the way in which you're talking about uh, launching the problem or launching the solution, which gets us to the point that we should also pay attention to other phases in the lesson understanding how to scaffold students' work, it's really an important part of the lesson, right? And uh, if teachers had more strategies about how to do that, then maybe you wouldn't put a lot of the review or anything in the launch, but you would try to do it, the review or connecting with prior knowledge at other moments in the lesson, not just in the launch. And also in, in the summaries, mm -hmm. I know that you're interested in that part, Sam. So. You know, there are other, it's a connection with other parts of the lesson which is important to take into account. But understanding the things about the launch gives us a first uh, step towards understanding what are those justifications that teachers have about the actions that they perform and the decisions that they make. Yeah, and I can completely understand people who they've learned about lowering cognitive demand or they, like Jennifer was saying, they're worried about taking away the aha then it becomes very rational to think, I really want to keep my launch very short and not really give anything into it because I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, so this first step that we're doing is trying to understand where teachers coming from, what do they know about practice, before we start making recommendations about what they should do or what they could do in their classroom. We need to understand their perspective. So that's what we were trying to do in this study, to try to understand what does it make sense for them to do and why? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think by discussing uh, different options for the ways in which you could launch the problem, the, the pre-service teachers and the in-service teachers would become more aware of the possible effects on their teaching actions on students' learning opportunities. Yeah, so having those different options you know, promotes them to think through the ramifications of how they do launch it. Yes. So uh, looking at the work overall, what do you see as some of the major implications from this study? Well, some of the things have to do with the different populations, right, with pre-service teachers and in-service teachers, but pretty much I think it's important that we promote discussions in teacher education with pre-service teachers and in-service teachers about what are the underlying assumptions or that you have for a launch? What should be there in the launch? And then have them to work together to figure out what could be a reasonable launch. How would you launch the problem? And what effects that launch of the problem could have on, in the way students approach a solution. And that's great that the recent work of Karen Jackson and other people have been pay, helping to pay more attention to this part of the lesson. And then we need to figure out what is it that students need to know to move forward and at the same time what options do I have as a teacher to have a launch that will get them started. And then we also need to figure out, well, if I don't activate all prior knowledge at the beginning of the lesson, 
how do I do that in other parts of the lesson? How do I assess students' work as they're working on the problem in groups? How do I scaffold students' work as they're working on the problem in groups? So it's important because we, if we take away some of the strategies that teachers usually have to make connections with prior knowledge during the launch of the lesson, then we need to provide them opportunities or strategies for them to establish those connections in other parts of the lesson. Some of the implications I see here are looking more into uh, the mathematics knowledge for teaching and geometry with a, a specific focus on spatial visualization and solids of revolution. I think what's nice about the task and what we've done here is that with looking at launching a problem, thinking about our methods courses that we have, thinking about opportunities for pre-service teachers and even when we're doing professional development in-service teachers, to reflect on some of the implicit assumptions they make with regard to launching a problem. And then as teacher educators or researchers, we can think about provoking discussions around how those implicit assumptions align with the goals of supporting students' um, mathematical reasoning. Yes, and then we can use opportunities to challenge either pre-service teachers or in-service teachers. So, for example, if their attention is about motivating students, then we can think about, well, how is it that you're going to make sure that you're going to keep the cognitive demand of the task during the launch? Or if their attention is reviewing, then we can say, well, how is it that reviewing can allow students to establish connections on their own? So those questions can help them to figure out ways in which they can design a launch that will help students to develop the strategies that they need for solving problems on their own. I'm speaking with Gloriana Gonzalez from the University of Illinois and Jennifer Eli from the University of Arizona. Thanks so much for speaking about your work in that uh, JMTE article. I have one last question that I ask my guests, and so I'll start with you, Gloriana. If you were not in mathematics education and if you were not rapidly moving up the ranks from assistant professor to associate professor and things, what would you see yourself doing instead? Oh, uh, I don't know. Um, well, I wish I was a dancer or a performer, but mm -hmm. I don't think I'm graceful enough to earn a living doing that. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad I have another job. Um, maybe I would be a lawyer so I can argue with people uh -huh. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I don't know I, I wanted to study Spanish Lit that's what I started studying in college and I read a lot of literature pieces so um, I don't know but I guess the dancer would be the best choice for me if I had to start all over again <laughs> but I'll have to start very early training to be a dancer <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Jennifer, also congratulations on your recent promotion to associate professor. But what Thank would you. you see yourself doing instead of math education? Oh, wow. Um, so I really enjoy thinking about other people's thinking. So I could see psychology, perhaps. But more recently, um, I've gotten into competitive powerlifting. Oh, really? And so I think if I had started powerlifting much sooner, maybe I would have gone into sports psychology. That could be a good blend of the two. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Have you found yourself thinking in certain ways or using mental strategies for your powerlifting? I do. I mean, it, powerlifting takes quite a lot of focus and a lot of dedication, and it's a, a good place for me to kind of zone out. 
but yeah, thinking about particular movements and why people come to train a certain way and how do you train very smart? How do you peak for um, a meet? Uh, just things that I find really interesting. Yeah. Well, but we're, we're glad to have both of you in math education, so uh, thanks again for <laughs> speaking with me. Thank you so much. You're doing a great service to the community. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.